why don't we pray and ask God to bless us this morning with his word. Father, we, we sang that song. Abide with me, fast flow the evening tide. And Lord, we, we just pray that, I pray for all of us, Lord, as, as some might be going through trial, through difficulty, that we would have a sensible presence of you. Lord, that's what marked you out. You are the God with us. How gentle and kind you are, Christ, to come to your people, to rescue them. And so we pray this this morning, would you kindly send your spirit to help us to understand, to love people more than our rights, more than our privileges, more than our liberties. And what that means in the body of Christ. God, I pray you would stretch our minds this morning and help us to mature, all of us. We all have this bent to just say, I want to do what I want to do, and I don't care how it affects other people. But in the body of Christ, this ought not be. You've called us to love you and love others. And so we pray you would mature us today in Jesus' name. Amen. We're continuing on in 1 Corinthians chapter 10. Would you follow? 1 Corinthians chapter 10, the Apostle Paul is bringing up a point about living with our liberties, with our freedom. And so the title of this sermon is called Living Free in Christ. It is our bent as in as human nature and even as an American we are uh when someone starts to infringe on our freedom we go you can't tell me i can't have a barbecue on the 4th of July and have my relatives over what 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 are you talking about you going to tell me that i'm going to have to force my family to have a, a mask on when i have a barbecue outside and so all of these things it it riles up and we understand that right But there are certain freedoms and certain liberties that God allows in our lives that we ought to consider. And so how do we do this? How do we manage this? How do we do this in a way that honors Christ? So the title of this sermon is called Living Free in Christ. Truly living free in Christ. God gave this passage, and let me read it first. Let's go to 1 Corinthians chapter 10. And we're going to go 23 all the way to the end of the chapter and then verse 1. Because we believe that it's attached to the same section. So um, 1 Corinthians chapter 10 says, All things are lawful, but not all things are profitable. All things are lawful, but not all things edify. Let no one seek his own good, but that of his neighbor. Eat anything that is sold in the meat market without asking questions for conscience sake. Verse 26, for the earth is the Lord's and all it contains. If one of the unbelievers invites you and you want to go, eat anything that is set before you without asking questions for conscience sake. But if anyone says to you, this is meat sacrifice to idols, do not eat it for the sake of the one who informed you and for the conscience sake. I mean, not your own conscience, but the other man's. 
For why is my freedom judged by another's conscience? If I partake with thankfulness, why am I slandered concerning that for which I give thanks? Verse 31. Whether then you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. Give no offense either to Jews or to Greeks or to the church of God. Just as I also please all men in all things, not seeking my own profit, but the profit of the many, so that they may be saved. Verse 1, be imitators of me, just as I also am of Christ. God gave this passage to you so that you would wisely live in the freedom you have in Christ for the glory of God. Wisely. I say, I pick that word wisely as an adverb. Wisely. We understand the difference between knowledge and wisdom. Knowledge is the information. Wisdom is the careful application of that knowledge in particular times. So what God is calling us to do, it's not just say, hey, this is... Oftentimes we think Christianity, here's the black, here's the white, this is how I live. I live what the Bible says, I don't live what the Bible doesn't say or says against, and that's how I'm going to live. But in, in reality, we understand that there is black, there is white, and there is gray. How do you adjudicate, how do you live your life in the gray? And brothers and sisters, God calls you not to live this life of just kind of this dualistic thinking of black and white. But now, how do I apply the scriptural principles that God has given me in light of the glory of God, in light of the edification of the church? And so God calls you to think about this. The Bible says we are to sing and to tell and to proclaim of the value and the worth of God. We understand that. That is giving glory to God. We're telling God exactly what he says he is in the scriptures. And then we are living in light of that value through receiving the gospel. Trusting in him. Confessing and repenting. Thanking him. Praising him. (laughs) Enduring hardship for him. And sharing of him. And all that the Christian thinks and says and does must be for the glory of God. Brothers and sisters, if you claim the name of Christ, there is no iota of space in your life that should not be giving glory to God. In fact, the Christian's life as as he grows or as she grows is to find out different pockets and different areas of how I think, of how I speak, of my body language, of what I do. How can I give God more glory in this? You cross over from that which is mundane anymore. There's no more just mundane, no more just boring stuff. But rather, how can I give my life all for the glory of God? And in particular, Paul talks about one area. And this particular area, he's addressing giving glory to God in the exercise of your Christian liberties. These are, if you want to speak about it in these terms, these are the gray areas that we don't normally have in the scriptures. Should you watch Marvel Universe? Andre's going to say amen, right? 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 So, so things, should I, should I go... Uh, should I smoke a cigar? 
Well, the Bible doesn't say whether or not you should smoke a cigar. The Bible says you can't be enslaved by anything. There's a difference. Nothing should enslave you. But the Bible doesn't specifically say. So as a pastor, if I'm going to be true to the scriptures, I'm not going to say smoking is a sin. And what happens is if we start to do that as a church, we become a legalistic people and folks don't live in freedom. You know that the old adage that different pastors used to say, they used to say, don't smoke or don't chew and don't date girls who do, right? Now we're starting to create rules that are unbiblical. And Jesus warns us about that. Not to add rules that the Pharisees themselves weren't willing to carry. And I, for one, want to live free. Do you want to live free? Amen? So, to wisely live in the freedom you have in Christ for the glory of God, if I'm going to live free, I got to know the principles, the guidelines that I'm going to live through. There are three important principles God calls you to follow. The first one is to exercise your freedom in Christ thoughtfully. To ponder. To stop. And to think, hey, before I do this, maybe I should think about how it's going to affect people. Before I do this, maybe let's not just think about, I want to do it. Because I want to do it. Why don't I think about how it's going to impact the body of Christ. So he says, Paul writes to the church in Corinth at length regarding the wise use of their Christian liberties. Apparently those who exercised their freedoms did so in disregard to the younger Christians in the faith, which caused these younger Christians to stumble. And see, what is the exact illustration that Paul is talking about? He's talking about this. What would happen is uh, they lived in a pagan society in Corinth. And the pagans and the idolaters, those who would worship Athena, those who would worship uh, Artemis, those who would worship all those different Greek and Roman pantheon, what they used to do is they used to sacrifice animals to these gods. And then they would sell, because there was so much uh, sacrifice to these gods, there was so much meat left over. And so they, people would get the best kind of cuts, the, better than Omaha, right? The best cuts. They would get them better and discounted at the shop close to the temple. And there were more mature Christians who says, well, God owns everything. The earth is the Lord and all it contains. I'm going to eat this meat. And they would be lawfully able to do so. But they would do that thinking, not thinking about perhaps their pagan brother and sister who just got saved. Okay, you got to understand. They were probably in these pagan cults. And as they were worshiping and with the immorality in their worship, they just got saved. And then they remember, you're bringing in this stake that's, that has like the markings of where they used to be. And when you eat it in front of them, they start to think and they start to get stumbled and they start to think, this is where I used to be. How could you eat that? You're on one side saying, I could do what I want. The earth is the Lord and all it contains. I'm free. Is that biblically true? Yes. Is there any real God besides the God of the universe, besides the triune God. No, there's no other God. 
So biblically, you're right, but relationally, you're wrong. And we know this. We know this even in our own relationships. You could be biblically right, but go about it in the wrong relationally way, right? Your husband and your wife may have sinned. You could speak to them in a kind way to call them to Christ. Or, and you may be even right, or you could call them in a sinful manner and both of you start fighting. Is that true? Siblings, is that true? Right? You can absolutely do that. And so Paul is calling us to be wise in this. If you've been saved in Christ, there are four principles in exercising your freedom in Christ thoughtfully. Now, I took this, I lifted this, and I have to let you know, I lifted this from a commentator because he said it, he said it better than I could think. I kept thinking about it all night, all morning, the week before, and I go, man, he said it better than I did. So number one, verse 23, choose edification over gratification, okay? Choose edification over gratification. Now, he uses this, this phrase, all things are lawful, but not all things are profitable. All things are lawful, but not all things edify. Now, if you remember, back in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, Paul was addressing them. This is what the Corinthians used to say. Well, you know what? All things are lawful. All things are lawful. I'm a saved Christian. It doesn't matter if it affects anyone else. All things are lawful. I'm going to do this. All things are lawful. So they kept saying this phrase. And Paul takes the phrase and he attacks it. That's true. If you're saved in Christ, your sins are forgiven. Absolutely. If you're saved in Christ, you're not worshiping any other God. You're trusting in Christ alone. Absolutely. But he says, all things are lawful, but not all things are profitable or to your advantage or beneficial is another word. And what he's talking about is spiritually beneficial. The mention of all things are lawful signals us that Paul is talking about gray areas. When he talks about all things are lawful, these are folks who are bringing up gray areas. The Bible doesn't specifically speak about this. And Paul is saying about these gray areas, if you don't exercise careful thought, it will not build up. All things are lawful, but not all things edify. Notice, the word there for edify means to strengthen. It means to build up. It means to make more able. It means to encourage. And so metaphorically, it is used to describe the strengthening and the encouraging of a believer in their faith in Jesus Christ. So together with profitable, he's saying that anything that builds me up in the faith is profitable. Anything that doesn't build me up in the faith is not profitable. Anything that builds me up in the faith is advantageous. It's beneficial. Anything that just kind of tacks on and doesn't build me up in the faith is detrimental. See, you as a Christian are called, you, you recall in Second Peter chapter 3, verse 18, to grow in the grace and the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ 
You're not called simply to sit there. You're not called to do nothing in the local church. You're not called to be redeemed by his blood and then not grow. Sadly, this is what most of the evangelical churches in the, in the United States. They just think as long as they accept Christ, then we're done. No, that's not true. The Bible calls us to not make converts, but to make disciples. That folks would grow in the Lord Jesus Christ. That they would grow in wisdom and grow in stature in that way. Being in his word. Listening to preaching and teaching. Loving others. But the question here, and I'm going to give you a list of diagnostic questions to help you apply this. Here's the first question to ask yourself when you want to think and you want to exercise your liberties thoughtfully. One, is it first, is it biblically right that I do it? Okay. If there is specific teaching that tells you not to do it, then it is never right to do it. Does that make sense? Now, the second part of that comes with the phrase, not all things edify. So here's the first diagnostic question. Is it biblically right that I do it? And the second diagnostic question now is, will it build me up in Christ? That's how you start to look through the filter of Scripture, and that's how you look. Should I go in this course of action? Should I do this? Is it going to stop my growth? Is it going to hinder my growth? Am I going to slow down? Am I going to get cold? Am I not going to have heat in Christ anymore? This goes beyond, well, the Bible doesn't specifically forbid it. See, this is, this is how I know about maturity. This is how I know this is an immature person speaking to me. When, they don't, when they, all they think about, well, the Bible doesn't say it, so I'm going to do it. Well, are there any other considerations? The Bible says there are other considerations. Now you're asking the question, does this have positive spiritual value for me? Now, this goes in every aspect of your life, from the way you dress, to what you, how you wear your hair, to the hobbies you have, to the sports you do, to all these things that the Bible may not be speaking to. Is there spiritual value to it? Is it beneficial? If the answers are yes to both, then it can be done for the glory of God. If the answer is no to one, then it cannot be done for the glory of God. From the text, right? Now, number two. Here's another principle in exercising your liberties thoughtfully. Number two, choose others over self. Choose others over self. The first one was choose edification over gratification. This one is choose others over self. The Bible says, let no one seek his own good, but that of his neighbor. Very clearly, Paul is saying, he now elevates the teaching to not just how it affects you, but now how does it affect those around you? So now you, ask, now you start to put these questions in your diagnostic. You start to ask, okay, is it biblically right? Will it build me up? And now the third question is, will it build up others if I did this? God calls you to let go of things that may stumble others. 
Or are you so, I have to say this, are you so self-centered that you cannot think of the spiritual health of your brothers or sisters for an hour or two? You got to press your way. That's not the heart of Christ. We'll look at the text later on. Will it build up others? Thirdly, choose liberty over legalism. Now, this is interesting point. The second point says to choose others over yourself. But now this is choosing liberty over legalism. And it sounds like it's almost contradictory. But this may sound contradictory from verse 24. But what this text is saying is that in your own presence, not around others who may be weak in a certain area, you don't need to let their standards rule your life. Do you get it? So when we're around others, we need to think about them and think about their edification and think about how it would cause them to grow. But on the other hand, Paul says, you can live freely as long as it doesn't stumble others, as long as it doesn't trample on their conscience. And let not what they think be the judge of how you live. So say for instance, he says, while we shouldn't want to harm the consciences of weaker believers in a certain area, you also should not let their ideas rule over every aspect of your life when you're not around them. Just their, their own idiosyncrasies, their own standards, their own ideas. You're free. Amen? Amen? You're free! It's an interesting counterbalance that God gives, isn't it? Now, Paul says it very clearly using the same illustration. He's talking about what's actually happening, happening in the church in Corinth. He says, eat anything that is sold in the meat market without asking questions for conscience sake. Don't ask questions. Just buy it or just go and eat it. If it doesn't bother you, you don't even got to know about it. Just eat it. Ah, oh, that's cool. Right? Paul is saying that other people's standards don't have to be your standards if they are not biblical standards. But when we're around each other, we don't want to make other people stumble. You see the difference? Oh, I love it. Now, He says, for the earth is the Lord and all it contains. Paul quotes Psalm 24. Ultimately, God owns everything. That is the biblical teaching. 1 Timothy 4, 4 and 5. You should write this down. This helps with liberty. For everything created by God is good. Nothing is to be rejected if it is received with gratitude. For it is sanctified by means of the word of God and of prayer. Now, he talks about an instance. What if, well, what if one of the unbelievers invites you and you want to go and eat anything that is set before you without asking questions for conscience sake. What, what, if you, what if they ask you, and brothers and sisters, you ought to be wise in how we do this, but we have to be engaged in society. I was, I was in an elders meeting with uh, Jeremy, and we were just praying, God, God, you got to work. But people will not come to hear the gospel unless you invite them. You have to understand that. If you're not in people's lives, loving them, praying for them, and inviting them, they will not come. You have to be in people's lives. God has called us to be salt and light. Having, that's why Paul is saying, notice he doesn't say never be with them. He's saying what? 
if they ask you to, so in a, in a place where you can logically and carefully go and not risk your own testimony, you should go. The church gathers together for edification, amen, and then we spread for evangelization. That should be the pattern and the beat of your week, of our lives. Together, strengthen, out, share. Together, strengthen, out, share. And so Paul says, what what if they ask you to go eat? He says, uh, say you and another Christian brother are invited to an unbeliever's house. The other brother finds out that the meat was sacrificed to idols. You should not argue the pluses and minuses with your brother right there. Just voluntarily give it up so the person's conscience won't be offended. He says, I mean not your conscience but the other man's for why is my freedom judged by another's conscience? Change your behavior for their conscience. Don't change your conscience if you're free. That's even the other part. If you're free, don't change your conscience, but change your behavior for another's conscience. Brothers and sisters, you should be gracious with your brother or sister's weakened conscience. You don't know what kind of history they've come from. You don't this is why it's unwise. Like, say, for instance, you don't know if, a, a, if a, one of your friends, it would be so unwise if one of your friends who just came out of a household where dad was drunk all the time and beat him or her up, and you come and you bring them into your house and say, hey, you want some, you want some of this vodka? And all they think about is, my dad used to drink that and beat me. Why are you offering me the same stuff? How unloving can you be? You just messed up their conscience. Is it so much to say, eh, we don't need to drink today. We don't need to bring that up. Let's love this person. Right? Now, If you have to make an, a decision of offending an unbeliever or harming the conscience of a believer, I would choose, you must choose the offending of the unbeliever. The building up of your brother or sister in Christ is of greater import here. <clears throat> you don't want the testimony of arguing with your brother or sister. And then he says, if I partake with thankfulness, why am I slandered for that which I give thanks? So the question here, the diagnostic question for this point is, Will it stumble others in their consciences? If it does, you shouldn't do it. <laughs> Exercise your freedom in Christ thoughtfully. Second, focus your freedom in Christ intentionally. Focus your freedom in Christ intentionally. He says, whether then you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all for the glory of God. Verse 31. And what God is saying is, when we use our liberties, our freedom in Christ... With much thought, with much contemplation and wisdom in consideration of our brothers and sisters, God is glorified. And let me tell you how this works. Let me tell you how this works. 
There are many times, man, someone says, someone mouths off on social media. Man, I want to just say something. I just want to say something. You know what I'm saying? This person is so ignorant. They don't even know what they're talking about. Let me show them. And my wife would lovingly say, honey, that's not even a gospel issue. That's a political issue. Which doesn't even intersect with the gospel in this sense. Do you really need to do that? And then it causes me to think. Am I going to lose opportunity? I'm not, I'm not withholding because I'm scared I'm going to lose the argument. Or I'm scared that they're not going to like me anymore. I'm not withholding that at all. Because now I'm thinking of something else. I am a bondservant to Christ. And if I'm going to argue about one thing, let it be the gospel. Not on N95 masks or do you see what I'm saying? The craziness of what's happening today. Do I have an opinion? A strong one. But if I'm going to have a hill to down, it's going to be the gospel. Pick your battles, brothers. Pick your battles. So now he says, he says, whether or not you eat or drink, do all for the glory of God. When we use our liberties, our freedom in Christ, with much thought and wisdom in consideration of our brothers and sisters, the Bible says God is glorified. So the Bible says God is glorified when I sit and I contemplate and I think about these things and how it affects people before I move forward. That is the way of wisdom. That is the way of blessing. Now this is the constant focus that everything, no matter how mundane you may think it is, everything has its greatest and best use and purpose in giving glory to God. In essence, there is no real neutral ground. Either the Bible directly addresses it, or you have to evaluate if engaging or refraining from an activity would best glorify Christ by influencing others. And now he says in verse 32, give no offense. Here it is. Paul is saying we actually should not offend people needlessly. Either to Jews or to Greeks or to the church of God. Some Christians think it's their job to offend people. They're so cantankerous, no one ever wants to hear the gospel from them. I have a hard time, even with my family, my extended family, those who don't know Christ, they think Christians are like this because all they ever talk about are these cantankerous Christians who just, who think republicanism is Christianity who think conservatism is Christianity when it isn't. And what they do is they just start arguing and fighting and making fun of them and, and they never get to the gospel. And then they talk to me and then they say, well, you're just like them, Angelo. And I said, no, I'm not. Let's go to dessert. Then they get, they get totally thrown. And I say, all that stuff, all that stuff that everyone is fighting about. Let me tell you about your greatest problem. And let me tell about the greatest savior. It's not going to come from the Democratic or the Republican or the Libertarian Party. Do you see? 
you're going to lose your opportunity if you're busy offending everybody. The word there, offense, give no offense, means without causing offense or trouble. This is translated to be blameless in, in Philippians 1.10, so that you may approve the things that are excellent in order to be sincere and blameless until the day of Christ. Then he divides the church into th- I mean, he divides the whole world into three, Jewish unbelievers, Greek unbelievers, and the church of God. He says you shouldn't be needlessly offending people. Now, here's an illustration. Let's put some thought into this. Okay, if I am trying to share the gospel with a person who holds vegan views, okay, I'm not going to invite them to a steak dinner. Do you understand? Why? Because I'm needlessly offending them and I'm not even getting to the gospel. You know what this means? Whoa. I might even eat a vegan meal with them. What? So that I can share the greater issue. Where are you before Christ? Now, some of you might be saying, "Uh uh-uh, no way. I'm not eating that tofu bacon, no way. Right? But this is what it means to be a bearer of the gospel. Amen? Amen? If I'm trying to share the gospel with someone who likes to hunt, I'm not going invo- to invite the vegan guy who's going to fight all the time and offend each other. I'll go hunting with the unbelieving hunter so that I could give him the gospel. That's thinking, okay, what's going to be the best way to talk to this person? You guys following? Always remember, the greatest issue is the gospel. If you pick fights with something that is not the gospel, you betray the fact that that philosophy or liberty is more important to you than the gospel. Simply because you're fighting about it and you're not willing to let it go. If it is truly not as big as the gospel, can't you give it up momentarily so that you can deliver the gospel? Now, so how, what is he saying here? You should not needlessly offend when you don't have to. Offending someone with your own views and idiosyncrasies and exercising of liberties is sinful and it repels others to Christ. And so just even as the, my views, I have my own idiosyncrasies. I view hobbies in a certain way. I view child rearing and marriage in a certain way. Some of it is very biblical. Some of it is just Angelo's way of thinking. This is the way I think. I think we should raise kids this way, right? But I won't force that on someone if it's not a biblical principle. Why? Because now I am crossing over from liberty to creating unbiblical traditions for someone else. And so you have to be wise enough to step back and say, this is Bible, this is not Bible, right? Many Christians I know, well, if, you're, if they're offended, now here, let me say this. If they're offended by the gospel, so be it, okay? If they're offended by the gospel, so be it. The gospel is offensive. 
But if they're offended simply because you're harsh or argumentative over issues that are not the gospel, then that's counterproductive and it's sinful. Many Christians I know try to make it their goal to offend others with their political views. And they say, if, I don't, if they don't like it, well, tough. They don't know that they're destroying their real opportunity to reach them with Christ. Presidents will fall, rise and fall. Did you know that? The most important thing is, what do they do with Christ? That's going to determine their eternities. So here's the diagnostic questions for that. What course of action, here's the question. As you're asking these questions, should I do this thing? What course of action would give the most glory to Christ? If your point is, and if your focus is to give glory to Christ, when you stop and think, should we do this? Would this give the most glory to Christ? Second, is this issue a hill to die on rather than the gospel? Is this the hill to die on? Or is the gospel the hill to die on? So that's another diagnostic. Next. Pattern your freedom in Christ sensibly. Pattern your freedom in Christ sensibly. Now he says 1 Corinthians 10, 11 to 11, 1. He says, Just as I also please all men in all things, not seeking my own profit, but the profit of the many, so that they may be saved, be imitators of me, just as I also am of Christ. Now he noticed this, that this pattern, and the reason why I say it this way, is we want to go to wiser people, we want to go to wiser mentors, who can help us adjudicate and to decide what is the best course of action in my life context, in this gray area. And so this is why it is... It, you to have folks who are more mature. And for the church in Corinth, it was Paul. Paul says, be imitators of me. Follow your wise mentors, your disciples, your home fellowship leaders, your parents before you do something that you don't know where you need wisdom. I remember when I had to cross over to that. I used to just do things without asking and I would pay the price all the time. And then I would start to think, you know, the Bible says to walk with the wise, you will become wise. And then so, I said, I don't want to, I don't want to mess this up. Let me talk to someone more mature. And now Paul says, even beyond that, just as I also am of Christ. Now, here, I'm starting to, th- I'm thinking, when, when did Christ give up his rights for others? Oh, it's so blatant, isn't it? This is the model. This is the motivation. Because Jesus did it. Philippians chapter 2. You got to go there. Philippians chapter 2. Philippians chapter 2. Notice... He laid aside his rights for his people, for the benefit of his people. Look at it, verse 5 to 11. He says, have this attitude in yourselves, which was also in Christ Jesus. You are to do this because Christ did it. You are to have power to do this because Christ did it. And you can do this in the power of Christ because Christ did it. He says, who, although he existed in the form of God, here it is, Christ, 
He shares in all the attributes of God himself. He could have said, no, everyone should bow to me right now. Everyone should worship me right now. But he said, no, he did not regard equality with God a thing to be grasped, a thing to be held onto. He let it go. He says he emptied himself, taking the form of a bondservant. And we know that condescension, he went down as a bondservant and made himself into the likeness of men. He even went even lower, being found in appearance as a man. And then he became a point, obedient to the point of death, even one shot lower. And then death on the cross. That every knee will bow and every tongue will confess. So his condescension and his release of his rights gave us the porthole, the door for Christians to be saved. Could you not in like manner, brothers and sisters, give up those rights, those freedoms at least temporarily so that you can be a conduit of grace so that they would come to saving faith in Christ. So that they would come to know what you already know. That God created you and we have all sinned and he sent his son and if we believe in his son, we will be saved. So a question to ask is, when was the last time you gave up something for someone else. That's a hard question. When was the last time I gave up something for someone else? So that diagnostic question is then, am I following the Lord's humility in releasing my rights for the sake of others? So, Exercise your freedom in Christ thoughtfully. Stop, pause, and think. Okay, how is this going to affect someone? Think about your social media posts. Think about what you wear. Think about what you say. Think about the hobbies that you do, how you do them. Think about all these things, right? Think about the choices of entertainment. Think about how it's going to affect younger Christians, older Christians. Think about all of those things. Exercise your freedom in Christ thoughtfully. Focus your freedom in Christ intentionally. Point towards the glory of Christ. And then pattern your freedom in Christ sensibly. The diagnostic questions, if you're taking notes, I'm going to say it again. If before engaging in a liberty, is it biblically right for me to do so? Will it build me up in my faith in Christ? Will it build up others in their faith in Christ? Does my exercise of this liberty make a positive connection with others. Positive spiritual connection. Will it stumble others in their consciences? What course of action here would bring the most glory to Christ? Or is this an issue... Is this issue a hill to die on rather than the gospel of Christ? And lastly, am I following the Lord's humility in releasing my rights for the sake of others because he saved me? Father, we pray. Would you help us? Help us to love one another and to lead and to guide and to, and to think about others, be others motivated. We're such a selfish people. I can be so selfish and so self-centered. Would you do this work? 
And help us to care for the spiritual well-being of others in Jesus' name. Amen.